0: Hi Josh. Hi Casey. Episode three. What? Episode three, yeah. Yeah. So it's very exciting.
1: You were in the woods doing your meditating. How was it? It
0: wasn't really on the woods. It was on a mountaintop. Not like a high mountain. It was like grassy and stuff. Um it was really, really great. Um I kind of feel more at peace and less anxious than I ever remember feeling in a long time. Um, That's good. I need to, like, introduce some of my friends to this this teacher. I think a lot of them would benefit from it. You least, but...
1: I don't think I could meditate for 30 seconds without getting bored. <laughs> out of my mind. <laughs>
0: the, the thing is, though, you don't need to meditate, because you're already... You you are, like, you have the most... You are the most joyful person I've ever met.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: You're just... You're already happy. Um... So, I got a new MacBook Pro. Oh boy, I know, I, th- I think I saw that you, you, you mentioned that, but what? so so what do you think of it?
1: So I have the 15-inch model, the 3.1 gigahertz, so essentially, except for I have one terabyte instead of two terabytes of uh, memory, I have the highest configurable MacBook Pro.
0: Thirty. Josh, your computer is saying the time, and it's messing up the recording. I know. Um... <laughs> it's five thirty. everyone
1: would turn that off do you want to mark this time and cut this segment out
0: and uh, now it's fine you were in the middle of saying something so
1: yeah my computer says the time again because Apple's uploading process is great and if you restore from a time machine backup everything that you had previously set comes back absolutely everything
0: I know it's so I, I had a similar experience when I got my new phone um, where it's really everything is, pre- the, the thing that really shocked me was, um, you know how in the app switcher it shows the list of apps? It kept the order of apps in the app switcher. That's cool. So when they when you transfer stuff, they really transfer everything.
1: Yeah. Which seems like it should be an easy thing, but like, in the past it hasn't worked that well, and now it works perfectly, and I love it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So you so you are the touch bar, what do you think of that?
1: It seems cool. It seems – I mean, I don't use any Apple apps, and no one else has really put code in to utilize it. So it's like, it's like this really cool thing that nobody cares about. So I think it will be cool, but I think it would be like if you had a mouse that you can move around on your computer, but every computer – every person who wrote software for your computer was still writing um, – was still writing terminal software that didn't use a mouse.
0: Right. That makes sense. Um, Honestly, the thing I would be happiest about is that uh, when you're typing, it gives you text suggestions.
1: It does. It does give you text suggestions in any typing field. Um, And if you use the text suggestions a lot on your phone, it's useful. Although, if you touch type, that means you have to look at the keyboard again if you That's want crazy. your text suggestions. And sometimes, I, I and I've grown into the habit of looking at the keyboard when I don't know how to spell a word for the text suggestion spelling of the word. There you uh,
0: go.
1: The same way I used to spell miscorrectly the word and then immediately left click it or control click it so that I could get the, the the word spellings
0: replacement window up. Yeah, so it might save you a little bit of time there.
1: Yeah. Um, the the volume is now on a
0: sliding scale. I know I've seen that. It I think that that would take me a long time to get used to.
1: It doesn't bother me that much because I'm not a micromanager of the volume. I just kind of like does it need to be louder, slide up? Does it need to be quieter, slide down? So all right, it makes more sense for me.
0: And I suppose it it gives you more control because you're not limited to the ten blocks. Yeah. How many, bl- is it 10 blocks? I don't know, how many blocks is this? Uh, it disappears too fast, whatever. Yeah. You're um, not limited to X many blocks.
1: Interestingly, I think the brightness would like to be on a sliding scale, but I don't think they were capable of putting it on a sliding scale. So they give you a sliding scale, but it defaults to what it, it falls to one of the 10 blocks. Huh. Um, so that means that there's something in there that makes it very hard to change the brightness from one of those 10
0: settings. But I don't really know what that is. I don't know why that would be cuz I imagine they're just PWMing the backlight. Yeah. Which I mean you can you can make the duty cycle whatever you want. I don't know I don't know why they would need to, that's weird. Meh. Um I have a kind of interesting story to tell. Okay. Which is um <clears throat> which for those listening there was a bit of a pause there so that I'm moving on to a new topic. Um I uh got SwiftKey on my phone, and um, had an amazing experience, and then decided to stop using it, and I want to talk about why, which is, um, so the, the idea of SwiftKey, if you're not familiar with it, is um, you, it, it, it's a keyboard that tries to understand you, and tries to guess what you're going to do, so... Um, the and the, the main feature, at least the biggest feature I care about, is you can just type on it like a regular keyboard on your phone, or you can just swipe your finger around the keyboard roughly in the shape of the word that you want to do, like over the keys that you want to type, and then it figures out what word you mean. And when I first got it, I was just absolutely blown away by how well that worked. Um, it... Like, you make the vaguest gestures that don't even touch the right keys, just getting in the general area, and it gets the word, like, 99% of the time. Um, And it has loads of languages, which isn't important to me, but it's really cool. Um, And um, there's, there's so many things that I like about it, and it sounds like it is perfect for me. Because the way I already type is kind of just vaguely smushing my hand all over the keyboard and then letting autocorrect figure it out. And so there was kind of this this brief honeymoon period of, "Oh my God, this is what I've been looking for all of this time," and then quickly discovered that it was too much because like your your keyboard you you are the boss, and your keyboard is your employee it's supposed to like do whatever you want it's like you
1: it was guessing things too fast for you
0: it's it guesses things too fast and it's like what, what 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 I want is I am in control, but I can be really sloppy, and the keyboard figures it out. SwiftKey makes it very clear that that Swift that, that, that the keyboard is in control, and you you can give suggestions to it if you want. <laughs> um. So so autocorrect is so incredibly aggressive. Um, it has to be. It's-
1: you're essentially autocorrect writing
0: with Swift Key, right? Exactly, and so and so so so. Um, but not just on the the swiping. It's when you're typing regularly, because I still sometimes would do that, um, especially on like short words and on names, because it doesn't know names, doesn't know people's names, so it can't guess them. Um. <clears throat> the only reason it guesses so well is because it's looking from a dictionary, so it, only, it knows there's only so many possibilities. Assu- it, it assumes you're typing a real word. Um, anyway, but um, when you're just typing regularly... Um, it still does the autocorrect thing? It still does the autocorrect, and normally, like on, on the, your regular keyboard, like it, it except every once in a while, it will only change it if what you typed is not a real word. Usually, when people are complaining about the like, "damn you, autocorrect," whatever, it's because they messed up a little bit, and then autocorrect guessed the wrong word to change it to. It's not always, but usually. Usually, yes, exactly. Not always, but usually. And even when it is going to change it, the built-in keyboard makes it very, very obvious that it's going to change it because in the text suggestion place, it shows what it's going to change it to in the the middle suggestion. And it cha- and if it's going to be autocorrected, it changes color. So instead of being white text on a gray background like usual, it becomes blue text on a white background. So it stands out. Yeah. And the left suggestion box is always what you actually typed. So if you want to keep it the same, you can just tap that and move on. And so it's almost like it's asking permission because it makes yeah. such a point of getting your attention. Um, Swift key, um, every time you hit space, it goes with the middle suggestion. The middle suggestion is always slightly, slightly lighter. So normally it's like light gray text on a black background. But the middle suggestion is white text.
1: So the Swift key keyboard you have isn't completely non-modal, then.
0: no, no. The it also has the text suggestions at the top.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what I'm saying though is. What you're complaining about is the SwiftKey keyboard probably has no function in it to tell the difference between you tapping out letters and you sliding between letters. Hmm. Like, I would bet... No, no,
0: no, no, it does does know the difference. Because uh, when you slide between letters, the text suggestions disappear. And it just shows in their place what it thinks you're typing. But if you just type regularly, the text suggestions never disappear
1: interesting but it always chooses one of the text suggestions.
0: It always chooses the middle text suggestion and it doesn't do a good job of warning you about that and it doesn't really give you much of a recourse for that and it's like because it's like I was saying like the keyboard is serving you and so if you typed out a word that is a real word and it is so sure that you're wrong that it's going to change it to a different real word, it should make it very clear to you that it's going to do that and give you an option to say no. Yes. Um, Have you looked at other SwiftKey keyboards? Is there only one? I mean, there's only one SwiftKey. There might be other keyboards that are doing a similar thing. I haven't had a chance to look at that.
1: I haven't looked at much into iOS
0: keyboards. Yeah, I haven't I haven't either until you suggested SwiftKey to me, but... Um, and you're, you're right, and there, there may be different SwiftKey keyboards, and I know that Android comes with SwiftKey, and maybe Android's SwiftKey is better, but... Oh, the, <laughs> oh the, the, the other funny thing about it is it doesn't know swear words. <laughs> yeah. So I, and, and, and which, which leads to a somewhat annoying combination with the fact that it doesn't know swear words and it always corrects to the middle suggestion... So on my phone, I just opened a note and typed out as many swear words as I could think of. And I won't tell you what they were originally supposed to be, because I want to keep this podcast, you know, reasonably clean. But I will tell you that what I ended up with was Duck, Shut, Danny, Cynthia, Tuesday, Dickinson, Prickly, Butcher, and Bashar. I guess as in Bashar (laughs) al-Assad. You have to really fight with SwiftKey in order to type curse words.
1: Um, that's annoying that there's no way to say, no, I want the word that I want. That should be a thing.
0: And it should, like,
1: it also sounds like,
0: and because the middle suggestion being lit up isn't very helpful because it's always lit up, regardless of whether the word it thinks you're typing is the word you actually typed or whether it's something else. So it doesn't do anything to try to get your attention and make sure you know that it's changing stuff. Yeah.
1: It could be advertised to uh, parents of little kids though. Get this keyboard for your uh, kids. They won't be able to swear. (laughs) Just just ever. Because kids (laughs) aren't going to figure out how to
0: swear. That's true. But hmm, I don't think that's what it is. I think that SwiftKey is just too confident in its suggestions. And it thinks that it knows what you want better than you do and it's wrong.
1: Oh, next up, Quidditch. I Quidditch had a realization that we've completely overlooked something. Um, I don't think we've <laughs> talked about it on the pod before. <laughs> an ongoing conversation about how to create a live Quidditch stadium. Um,
0: in the like, real like 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 the- in real life, like have balloons, uh, bl- bl- not balloons have bl- like brooms that fly around, actually. So.
1: There are already indoor skydiving arenas where they just blow wind up and up at you fast enough that you are going at term- terminal velocity within
0: the wind. Right. So
1: that is how we should be levitating people.
0: That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, oh, uh, so, so my problem with that, though, is um, so we've talked like that is actively inside of a wind tunnel. Is it like you're kind of in this closed in area and the whole section of air is going up at the same speed, but um <clears throat> the whole thing with Quidditch is you want you, like you want people to to be able to be at different heights, so you need to have areas that have stronger wind than the other areas in order to push people up
1: well, usually with skydiving and stuff, you can go up by increasing your surface area or go down by decreasing your surface area
0: that's true um so do the do the how does that apply here? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when you're riding a broom, how do you increase your surface area? Um, I mean, if you're
1: sitting straight up on the broom, you will probably have the least surface area. Whereas if you lean back, you or lean forward, you will, will have more surface area, which is interesting. That's true. You could also you could also use other mechanisms for movement. And just use that as the static, um, essentially make people neutrally buoyant.
0: Right, that makes sense. Right, yeah, okay, that, that works. And then you can use the magnets thing. And you don't need crazy strong magnets because it just needs to be enough to move people. We, we, so, sorry, we had an idea before about um, using magnets to levitate people. But we decided that the magnets would have to be unreasonably strong.
1: You can use some sort of magnets thing. Um, my theory would be because you need that type of wind tunnel area, my yep. theory would be you have, you know how hockey stadiums have a glass ring because they don't want the audience to be in the freezing cold that is the stadium? Right. You would need the same glass ring for Quidditch stadiums. <coughs> that makes sense. That works. That all, This also solves the falling off the broom problem because you're not really being supported by the broom.
0: Right, so you just um, continue to fly if you fall off your broom.
1: Yeah, the broom's just kind of um, just kind of your method for moving around. It has some sort of electronics in it that help you move around.
0: The blo- they can have a fan in the back that blows it, you forward. N- now that we don't need absurdly strong magnets, we can use motors on the brooms.
1: That's true, that's true. A fan in the back... I mean, if you have a fan in the back, that could be your entire motion. Although, you would need a pretty wide broom to get good airflow. Like, broom handles are not wide. Right. Um. Also, you would need power in the broom, then. You would need a ton of power in the broom.
0: That's true. If you're dedicated to the broom, not looking like a broom with other stuff attached to it, and just looking like a broom, then it it gets harder. Um.
1: Yeah. Let's, Let's think about the... Uh, but we'll come back to moving the people being able to move. Let's do <coughs> the other balls. Um, the quaffle just needs to be about the same buoyancy and have about the same terminal velocity as a human body, and you can just do that with weighting so that right. it flows. Um, the, the is blunt
0: there not, r- I thought that one of the balls is just like a ball that you that falls. The, the quaffle falls. The quaffle falls, but it... It, it, it falls slowly. It falls slowly, so... Right, so you just need to make it slightly denser than humans. Yeah.
1: Um. I think the quaffle falls slowly. The quaffle might not fall slowly.
0: We'd have to look into have, that. Yeah, we'd have to look into that. I
1: don't know if it's fully clear whether the quaffle is magic or not. Um. Bludgers sound dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> That's like something that... That you can't completely avoid, right, is that bludger that inherently bludgers are extremely dangerous.
0: Yeah. I'm
1: um
0: right.
1: <laughs> um think but they just sort of have randomly that, rotating fans in the center of them for movement.
0: Do do bludgers move around randomly or do they pick random people to go after?
1: They move around randomly. Alright. Um and they can get hit by the the beaters. Right.
0: Oh. they have randomly moving fans inside of them, maybe um, maybe padding, yeah they, ne- padding, they need um. to be yeah, they need to be pretty padded, and I feel like you you like the fans don't you, you could have the fans not moving totally randomly, kind of moving like pseudo randomly, but it's control, like, it's obviously controlled by a small computer inside, and the computer is being fed a, a stream of data that's where the other brooms are, and so the Bletcher tries not to hit people in the face.
1: I think that that would be a lot of tech, and for a very little output of success. I think that regardless of how you do this, people need to be wearing, I mean, even in the books, people wear helmets and shit. That's true. Like the people on these. I feel. Ver- I
0: think you need. You need like face masks also.
1: I mean, for the game of Quidditch, you need to dress the people like football
0: players. Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> just, just because of the way the f- game of Quidditch is
0: designed. You have a point. People hit each other a lot. Yeah, the game of Quidditch
1: is not a soft game.
0: True. Um, so I guess yeah. So yeah, bludgers. So so bludgers are, are acceptably dangerous then. Yeah, if you pad them and make them, yeah. If you pad the bludgers and you pad the people, then okay. And
1: then the snitch.
0: Snitch is hard. The snitch is hard.
1: I mean, if you could look at a dragonfly and figure out how a dragonfly flies, you almost want to do the exact same thing as a dragonfly. That's hard. That is hard, but that is what the snitch is. It's a
0: ball version of a dragonfly. I think that you have fake wings and you make the snitch really, really light and you just move it around with the magnets.
1: Just magnets? Just magnets? That's not a bad idea. You could just make the snitch a dragonfly.
0: <laughs> just an actual dragonfly. Just the actual dragonfly <laughs> that the fingers have to catch. <laughs> uh, there are some problems with that. I well, don't know. They, I don't know how well dragonflies could could fly in That's true. That's very the true. Wind.
1: <laughs> the thing is though, if you make the snitch really light, will it immediately
0: fly up out that's of That's true. Uh, so so you just you make it mm, So I guess you need it to be neutrally buoyant. And that well I guess you need it to be neutrally buoyant and then you, I think we need to figure out how the players are being moved, because I think that the snitch is going to be moved in the same way. And I'm leaning toward having, like, a standing magnetic field that's reasonably strong, but not doesn't have to be insanely strong, like we were talking about before, and then things have electromagnets in them. That
1: push them away or towards certain things.
0: But that only gives you movement in one axis.
1: Um, <clears throat> what if you put the fan uh, as big a fan and get into the back of a broom, into a broom, you make it, you make regulations on the broom side, the, the the thickness of the broom, and then you put air intakes in the side of the broom and put the fan going out the back and then you can have a battery in front. Right. Um, and you can put that fan on as high speed as you want, essentially, um, for propulsion. And then the flyers just have to figure out how to use that fan for propulsion. That
0: makes sense. Because there's got
1: to be some sport in this, right?
0: Right. And, and the other thing I'm thinking about is um, Dyson has done a lot of kind of interesting things with fans. And they, they have this thing that they called air multiplier, which is basically... Um, uh, <clears throat> Make it, making a cone that opens forward and having the, the, the fan just blowing out the edges. And then um, that kind of draws more air to go with it, because, to, to, to follow it because of things with, with pressure currents.
1: Yeah, and use, like, the mouth of the broom as some sort of... Cap- yeah, the,
0: the, the very front of the broom is an intake. And then you have um, turbines going down the length of the broom. Like a and jet blowing engine. air at the back. Exactly.
1: It was like a tiny, thin jet engine. Exactly. Um, and then the battery can be in whatever um, handle, saddle equipment you use to sit on the broom, maybe. All right. Um,
0: that doesn't solve the uh, snitch problem at all. That doesn't solve the snitch problem at all. Um, the, the other thing that makes the snitch hard is... I don't know if they... I don't remember like how much detail it goes into in the books, but I know in the movies at least, it is very obvious that the snitch isn't moving randomly. It actively runs away from people when it's being chased.
1: Yeah. The size and cost of um motion of distance sensors is dro- dropping quickly to zero though. Alright, that's true. So you can just so if you have any actuation, you can just actuate it away from the closest thing.
0: Right. If- but it, it means that you can't just have Something like, like, like the, the, the bludgers, you can almost have like just them blowing forward in a very unstable way, and then you kind of just get complex motion that way. Yeah. But the snitch has to be able to actually articulate itself in a specific direction. Yeah.
1: What if the snitch uses its wings... Um, uses its wing. Its wings are not soft. Wings. Its wings are hard, and it uses its wings to redirect the air that's blowing up at it. And then oh, that's the, an
0: interesting idea.
1: The little ball is a computer.
0: Right. That works. I like that. I think that would work.
1: Yeah. Um, those wings would be tricky to do. But, I mean, in even in uh, uh, the Wizarding World, it seems like the hardest part to build is the
0: snitch. Yeah. I think... <sighs> I mean you you so you you basically need 2 degrees of motion on each wing. Yeah. You can get servos can, that are pretty you can just small. Just give the wings
1: ball joints. You put little tiny gimbals in the wings. Yeah. So for gimbals aren't are weak. I guess huh? there isn't much. The question is how much I think this will have to endure a lot. So you would need strong materials for that. Yeah. Then the the other question comes if 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 all that works, which I mean, which is done... a, is
0: a lot of assumptions. We're, we we're, we are not doing the the difficult design right now. We're just figuring out like is is there any way this solution could possibly work?
1: Yeah, um, we could try to rig it up in CAD later. Probably not though.
0: <laughs> yeah, we probably because uh, the, the the thing is though we don't have the resources to build prototypes. Which means that anything we do in CAD is guessing,
1: yeah, pretty much that's true. I mean, we could theoretically build prototypes of i mean, I don't know i I, I have no idea what research sources we'll have at college for building shit. We won't be able to build a field prototype. um
0: we could build not could bu- full size, but we might be able to get like like a reasonably large fan that's power that's powerful enough to test like can the snitch move?
1: Yeah, we could probably get a wind tunnel and do on. Um, we could probably build an upward-facing wind tunnel at some point and do the ball and articulate the balls and check if the balls work. Right. Um, but I don't think that that would help that much because really, what you need is
0: um, room and stuff. But the brooms, was- you pretty much just need to be able to see like how fast can the broom move because we like. I'm I'm confident that you can build a bigger version of the like i fly indoor skydiving things and yeah. that and that you can make the broom fly in the sense you can lift it up into the air with a person on it. I don't think that that necessarily needs to be prototyped. I think that we need to know how fast can we make the broom's move. Yeah. And such.
1: I think that we could could build a broom. I don't know. I don't know if it would be testable, really. I think we could test the propulsion on the
0: broom, but... how, like, li- Link it up somewhere it can't move and get a force gauge.
1: Yeah, exactly, but I don't know if we can test um, how that compares, how, how easy it is to move, although it doesn't necessarily have to be easy to do.
0: Yeah. It just has to
1: be doable.
0: It does need to be able to change direction pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, That's, how, do we, how do you change direction when you're on the broom? I guess... I'm not, my... Like, would leaning be enough to turn it? Because when you're floating in midair, it's hard to... Like, when you turn, you have to have some, some equal and opposite force. That's true. You might need side fans.
1: Yeah. If you put some sort of small computer in the broom... Um, when you push the broom left... Actually, I don't even know if you need a computer. If you push the broom left, if you push, da- push your hand... On the left side of the broom, it could open slots to the. It could right, open right, like this,
0: like the snitch movement, sort
1: of. It could open like little slots to the left, so that you, the wind, because the wind's going essentially through the broom, right? Right. So, if it's slots on the left side that are open, then it will, then it will push you push you right. And if you have slots on the right side that are open, it will push you left. So if you push on the broom, you will effectively – you can open slots in such a way that it will – you will be able to successfully push on the broom. And then if you room broom, it will slow the broom down because all the slots will be open. And if you release both sides of the broom, then none of the slots will be open and you'll go faster.
0: Right. So maybe we don't even need to put a fan on the broom. Maybe we can just do it all with flaps.
1: I don't, I don't know
0: about – I'm I'm not thinking about flaps.
1: I'm thinking about you have the fan going through the middle of the broom. You have the wind going through the middle of the broom. And you're putting this in the middle of the broom. I don't know. I wasn't thinking about using wings on the broom. I don't think that wings would work that well on the broom since it's so narrow and moving such a big thing. That's true. I think that you still definitely need the, need the wind power as a source of control. It's just... Um, it's what just I'm saying,
0: like is turn it, ch- changing the angle of that, changing the angle of your wind power, essentially,
1: that's coming out. That works. Um, yeah. But where I was actually going with that question was not can we do this because no, we don't have money to do this yet. <laughs> right. Someday we'll put it on. We'll we'll get further with the design and put it on Kickstarter, but not while we're trying to go to college. Um, <laughs> at least not while we're trying to figure out how to go to college in the first term. Um, yeah. But the question would be... Th- what, th- th- this okay, is
0: absolutely oh. a like pie-in-the-sky thing that we'll probably never do. But yeah. Anyway. What, what rule-balancing would we need? Um, what do you mean by rule-balancing? So, um, a be-
1: basically, the Harry Potter fan community has pretty much pointed out that all of Quidditch is a game between in the in the Hogwarts Quidditch tournaments is a game between the two seekers. There isn't a single game in all of Hogwarts Quidditch where anyone else on the field has anything done, has achieved anything.
0: Right. Isn't that kind of obvious? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. Um Like and- it says right at the very beginning, uh of introducing Quidditch, that if the seeker catches the snitch, their team wins.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that is that. That and, and the point is that while that is that makes it interesting for Harry because he's the only player on the field that actually matters, it makes the rest of the sport extremely, extremely,
0: uh, yeah, pointless. Um. So the other, you need to pick some high point value that the snitch is worth. And pick smaller, but not insignificant, point values for the. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like. You well, could... I, well, I mean, the the snitch has the snitch is worth 150 points, right? So, so what do? The 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 goals are worth 10 points
1: in the book. All right. It's made clear that the goals are worth 10 points. Um. So um. One thing could be it could ju- you could just make. If you did the snitch well enough, you could make it very, very, very difficult to catch the snitch. That's true. Especially if the snitch had most distant sensors and was um, far away and was able to fly away from anybody. Um, Right. I mean, I guess Um, in the pro games, it was possible to for the other players
0: to do something. Um, The other thing that I think would solve it immediately. Is have the game work by a time limit, not by the game ends as soon as someone catches the snitch. Yeah, because then the other players, all all, all the other points break ties, and if a team is really good, then you might be able to get fifteen goals
1: over the other team.
0: I mean, think about like like how like in sports that actually happen today, like it is not unheard of for there to be. Like a soccer game where somebody scores 15 goals. Or a basketball team where where a, a, a team gets 15 baskets. I mean, someone at like a team. Yeah. Um,
1: oh, by the way, this keyboard yeah. is much clickier. It, wow, it is. The, does, the keyb-
0: does the shorter uh, key throw bother you?
1: No, I actually like the clickiness
0: that I get out of it. All right. Um... No accounting for taste I suppose.
1: Um I just I just looked it up and for soccer as an example, yeah, which I don't know how I don't know which sport quidditch ends up being like in terms of score differentials, but the largest the largest different score differential ever in soccer is 31 points according to Google, according to the first result on Google. So if I'm wrong about this, it's the first result on Google. I don't act know anything right. about soccer.
0: Keep, but keep the, in mind though that that in soccer, one goal is worth one point, right? Yeah. So that means that the largest difference is thirty goals. And in, in Quidditch terms, though, that's three hundred points.
1: Yeah, but so but my point though is that that is only double. And that is the best that is essentially the best team playing the worst team. All right. Is only Do you have a double point? what the snitch is worth right now. Um and maybe you but just it, make the snitch it, ridiculously hard to catch so that the game goes on long enough.
0: And the, the thing that I was saying was um make the snitch ridiculously hard to catch. And um <clears throat> make it so um the game doesn't end the minute the snitch is caught. It's done by a time limit like most other um sports are. Um and that, like, well, I guess maybe not most sports, but like basketball and soccer and football. Because then, if one team is way better than another team, then the regular goals you might get enough to be significant. And if the teams are fairly equal, then um, the the two the two um, teams will probably catch the same number of snitches. Yeah.
1: The other thing you could well, except for you, oh, like the snitch gets re-released.
0: Exactly, the snitch gets re-released.
1: Yeah, I guess that kind of works.
0: Um, Um, because that what like what what I'm trying to figure out how to avoid is one team is way better in all respects than the other team, but the other team has a better seeker and the other team wins because of that.
1: Yeah, my thought would be, what if you just intentionally? Balance the goals so it's easy to score and make it like a high-scoring game like basketball. All right. Um, I guess you would. I guess probably what would have to happen is you would have to have a field and have people play and be like, these rules aren't any good.
0: Um, yeah, like the, the rules of almost all major sports have kind of evolved over time. Yeah. And so we need, we need to, like, it's hard to, again, everything we're doing now is guessing. Yes. It's hard it's hard to balance a sport that you've never seen play out in real life cuz like the way the way the games went in the books is all scripted and it's all written by one person. So it's entirely possible that Quidditch in real life would look very different. Yeah. Um there's a raccoon climbing a tree outside my house and it's about 50 feet off the ground.
1: Go little raccoon. <laughs>
0: You should response. take a picture of it and put it in the show notes. Uh, it went out of view now. If it comes back, I'll take a picture. anyway. But... that
1: None of our friends probably see the show notes at all because iTunes doesn't show the show notes anywhere, or, well, podcasts.
0: <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm figuring out what I want to do about that. Cause, so, the, the the two shows... So, on, on WordPress, I have the option to... There's a field where I can put a summary in addition to the regular description. And I did that on the mm-hmm. first episode, but not on the second episode. So the way the show notes work on the first episode is in the list of podcasts, it doesn't show you the show notes. But if you tap on the, you, you know, like if, when you have the player open, if you tap on the, the kind of big thumbnail that's showing you that's filling half the screen, yeah. over it shows the actual show notes on top of that. On the second episode, it just shows the actual show notes everywhere but it doesn't look very good in the list of podcasts cuz it's cut off.
1: Yeah. Um how does this appear on Apple's podcast app?
0: No that, that, that that's what i meant in Apple's podcast app. I don't use Overcast. Oh, you don't use Overcast? No, cuz uh, like when i when I, when Overcast was on my mind a lot because it was being talked about on the show, um it was when Overcast was still paid for everyone. Yeah. And i just haven't gotten around to getting it now that it's free.
1: Yeah, I think it's better, because it has, what Overcast has is it has a swipe over for the show notes, which is useful, Um, which okay. I use to click on links and stuff. Some podcasters are actually good about putting links into the show
0: notes. Right. And does that not show the full show notes? That only sn- shows the, the snippet description thing on the first episode? Does that show the full description on the first episode that's a bulleted list, or does it only show the... The, the pilot of the greatest podcast ever thing that I wrote as the snippet description.
1: So, so it shows the full show notes on both of them. The show notes work fine. It actually, under on Overcast, under the podcast, it shows you the description. And then um, in the show notes section, it shows you the show notes.
0: So. so that's, I kind of like that.
1: Yeah, so you can do descriptions if you want.
0: Because the, 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 the list looks all weird and cut off. If, if it's being showed in the, in the context of a list of episodes? Yeah. I did that on the second episode as a test, and I don't like it. Yeah. Oh, if Josh, you're not using headphones. I'm not? You're not yeah, using headphones. Am I supposed to be using headphones? It's better if you use headphones, because what just happened is I was loud enough on your end that, that your computer heard it and played my voice back to me, which means that it's gonna that echo is going to have made it into the podcast.
1: That makes sense. I think so, we might want to cut out this whole section anyway. It seems a little inside baseball.
0: I guess. Um, All right, I'll 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 put a marker in there. Uh, okay. Um, oh, the
1: other thing I forgot to say in my MacBook review is I have one of the fake... Uh, Mice, the fake trackpads now.
0: Oh right, yeah. Um, what, but, what do you think of it? I find them very convincing. Yeah,
1: they 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 are very convincing. Um, and what took me a little bit to get used to is they have they have the force click, which right, feels right. like you click your mouse down further. It feels like your mouse has two clicks. Uh, right. Um. And for a while, when I was dragging things, I would end up force-clicking them, and it would screw everything up. But I think I've figured out how to drag without force-clicking now. Um, okay. It's worth oh, noting that I tend to tap-to-click in general. Oh, you're a tap-to-click wizard? I'm a tap-to-click person. I always tap-to-click. I have tap-to-click on. I tap-to-click when I'm clicking, ah. but I click when I drag. Um,
0: ah. Tap-to-click is made of sadness and pain and tears. Um, You're like when when I have tap to click on, I click by accident a lot. Yeah. And I'm impressed by anybody who manages manages not to. Yeah. Um the
1: force the the, the the force click is really nice in their user interface, but again, isn't used anywhere else. Like so in the Finder, it's very helpful to have the force click for um looking at what's in files or sometimes it makes it easier to rename files. Um, like if you force click on the name, it will let you rename, which is something I've always had trouble trying to figure out how to get the Apple operating system to do for me. Is let me rename this file, please.
0: Right. One second, the raccoon came back, and so I'm taking a picture. Okay. All right, continue. Sorry about that.
1: Um, and so, um, so you can rename files a lot easier. I think that they've added in this in this new computing generation, they've added a bunch of like input mechanisms, essentially. But because they're not on all the Mac computers yet and they and Mac computers are, and not not everyone's like, I have to update for this or whatever. There's no apps that are using them. And then in turn, there's no apps that are using them. So there's not really much you can do with them. Um, so they're not really that useful.
0: Give it time. There's
1: input mechanisms, yeah.
0: In, like within the next, I don't know, year and a half, Apple's not going to sell anything that doesn't have Force Touch on it. They're yeah. still selling the MacBook Airs; those are going to go away eventually. Um, I don't so, think those
1: are going to go away anytime soon, though, because those are their cheap computers that they sell to schools
0: mostly. I think I think that that's that they're going to make a lower end MacBook One. Yeah, and it's gonna that's what it's gonna be. Um, a- anyway, but um. Also, I'm calling it the MacBook One because it has one port, and also because it's it's a joke about the other thing that has a bad name, which is the Xbox One. Um, this is this
1: is the the MacBook One is the tiny is the twelve inch MacBook that they made to be smaller than the MacBook Airs, which makes no sense because Air was supposed to be this one's the smallest and the lightest, and they made MacBook smaller, and so now you have MacBook Air, which which is now the cheap one, MacBook, which is the small light one, and MacBook Pro, which is the high-powered one.
0: And and when I hear MacBook, I still think of the plastic white computers. Yeah, I mean... It's like Xbox One, where does Xbox One mean the first Xbox or the Xbox One? That's why it needed to be called the X-Bone.
1: Yeah, the thing is, though, that MacBook has become the name of computer, has been the name of... Mac laptops for decades. Um it's just a little weird because they had we they had a previous line of MacBooks and they kept around the MacBook Airs essentially even though they were no longer the smallest. Um and they didn't yeah. make any smaller than this. So it seems like it should have been a MacBook Air but it wasn't.
0: And the the the, the other thing that seemed that that makes it seem weird to me is that um What it was, the the way it was for a while is the MacBook is the basic computer that most people should get. If you need something really thin, get a MacBook Air. If you need something really powerful, get a MacBook Pro. But the basic one is the MacBook. And they took the brand name, they took the, they got rid of the basic MacBook for a while, and then it was just the Air and the Pro. And then they've brought back the basic MacBook, but it's not what it was before. Now, yeah. it's, now it's like the MacBook Air. Or now it's like the MacBook Pro 13-inch with low specs is the computer most people should get. And if you need something really cheap, you should get a MacBook Air. And if you need something really thin, you should get a MacBook. And if you need something really powerful... You should get a 15-inch MacBook Pro.
1: (laughs) I'm not not sure if I agree with that. I think that a lot of people want the MacBook Pro 13-inch because they they feel like they need that extra power. But I think that, like, I mean, there's a reason why Chromebooks sell, right? Is because the majority of... There's a lot of people in in this world that don't use the computer to do anything other than go on the Internet. Right. Right. They go on it with Safari, and Safari uses no power. Right. Um, and like, so
0: that, that, I guess that's who the MacBook 1 is for. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think that's fundamentally the difference between the, the, the advantage to Safari, right, is that, that Chrome is, like, better for running things. And Safari runs on way less power now because that's what Apple's prioritized is running it on way less power and right. using as little well power as
0: possible. Um. um the th- the thing i was trying to say before and not and that I, I never finished was um people aren't using force touch now because most people don't have computers that have it so it, developers aren't going to use it but um in i don't know pick a number 8 years when 90% of mac users have Own a computer touch. that has force touch on it, then developers are gonna start slowly work move toward implementing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't explicitly tried it. Um I'm tempted to try it just as a thing. I don't know if I would ever use it because I like two click for left click, but see what happens if I try to tell a game I want force touch for left click. For for right click, uh, you mean? For right click, yeah. Force touch for right click. <laughs>
0: The thing is, I the thing about that though is that before you do a force touch, you do a regular click, and I think the game would say, "Oh, you mean left mouse button? That's what you want."
1: It might be worth. It might be a setup that some people choose to use, though. Is um, if it becomes supported, would be like for first-person shooter games, have soft click be scope in, and then the next click be, uh, and then force click be fire. So don't I don't.
0: I don't think that's what they want, though. I don't think that's what people want because then it takes you longer to fire. Well, I mean, that's, a not lot what, of first- that's not what pro gamers want, anyway. That's that.
1: That's probably not what pro gamers want. But um, in a lot of first-person shooter games, it's you, 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 you find the person, you scope in, and then you fire.
0: All right. So it's like holding down the the shutter halfway on a camera.
1: Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah. The other thing is, I'm in Skype right now and I'm looking at what they've done with the touch bar and what they have is they have a little call thing that has um, your your icon on it and a uh, time for the call all right um they have a video button a mute button and a hang up button
0: um right for so buttons it, so that it's can... om- it, that's that's basically what the um Usually, if you mouse over the call and move your mouse around, it yeah, you gives float. you this, this, like, floating toolbar thing. Yeah. And so it's basically it that.
1: Is, yeah. Which I think that makes more sense, to be honest, to have a toolbar on your keyboard with, like, physical buttons that you press.
0: Yeah. So the, 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 the touch bar um, is getting support faster because um, it's not like <clears throat> this feature... Um, what was hard to find before and now it's easy to find because I'm not, I'm I'm not phrasing this very well. Um.
1: It's, it's what it is and what it will eventually be hopefully is, you know, how all the apps, uh, all the pro apps um, like think word and all text, think think text editors. They have that row of things across the top that, that are like your standard things that you have to be able to do at all text editors. I right. think that eventually that row of things will be um down in your touch bar.
0: I agree with that. And I and I think that what makes it so hard to um what 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 makes force touch harder to support when it's a new thing than the touch bar is um what what you can do with the touch bar is um you can just say, okay, if the person has a touch bar, show all these controls there. If the person doesn't have a touch bar, just put it on a toolbar. With force touch, it's you have left click and right click, and then you have force touch. And so that gives you a third control that you can have attached to the mouse. Yeah. But on other computers that don't have force touch, you, only, you, you have one fewer control attached to the mouse. Yeah. And so... Well, actually, you, you you know what I bet will happen for a while, which maybe hasn't happened quite yet, is in pro like programs will make it so force touch is the same as long uh, like click and hold.
1: Yeah, um, I think that that will be hopefully what happens in the long term. I think on the phones, what force touch should be is left click because click and hold for left click is dumb. Hold, click and hold should not be a button. If you, if you have to click and hold, unless you're in a video game where that makes sense, you're yeah. doing something wrong.
0: Well, in a lot of places, like um, like in Photoshop, just as an example, the, 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 the shape tool. There's one tool that's the shape tool, but you can pick between... And I forget what key command it is. I think it's M. No, it's not M. Um, anyway, I don't remember what... what keyboard shortcut is, but you press a button on the keyboard, and it takes you to the shape tool. But the shape tool can be the rectangle tool, the rounded rectangle tool, the ellipse tool, um, or the custom shape tool. And the custom shape tool can have a whole bunch of options. Um, But uh, the point is, it has different modes, and it shows the icon for that mode, and if you just click on it, it switches, it, it takes you to the shape tool in whatever the last mode was, and if you click and hold on it, It lets you choose which shape tool you want. And that
1: could be a place for force click. The other thing you could do with something like that, which once every... Assuming that Apple continues with the touch bars, once everyone has the touch bars, is you could theoretically have uh, um, the shape tool... They needs to make a selection here. Put out the selection bar of options um, in the... the, in the men in the touch bar, and you can choose which option from the touch bar.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Mm.
1: The other thing that I would that I I'm want Apple sure to do I is that, but... I want Apple to default for Apple to set the default for support to pull some set of options from the um, top menus, the like menu across the top with like file and edit and stuff whether it's putting the file menu down or putting the just the top menus in general down on the touch bar. Yeah. Um, and then you just click through it the same way you click through the file menus now, right? right. Um, but um, just, like, as a default, like, every app uses this, whether they know it or not, because this is what we do with do if you don't use it, essentially, type thing. That makes sense.
0: The, the thing about that, though, is I don't, I don't I don't think, think I don't really like the idea of the primary control that you click is on is on the mouse and then when you want to change that you have to go to the touch bar which is far away from the mouse. Well, I don't I don't like combining force touch with the um you, you do force touch to bring stuff up on the touch bar. I think Force Touch is connected to the menu. Oh, no, no, no. I sorry. I don't
1: think you should do First Touch with the touch bar. I think that across the top, just like always in the touch bar, you should have across the top, Um, you should have acro- across the top, you should have what's, whatever's across the top as menu options in the touch bar.
0: Right, that makes sense.
1: I wonder if you could write a background app to do that.
0: Mm, you have to be patching applications in RAM to do that. Well, and I think it's hard to do that in a general purpose way without breaking anything
1: The question would be, can I just make essentially a macro button that clicks the button on the top essentially because essentially you're just moving buttons around
0: I think that that can work in one in in some apps but not all apps um, because uh well behaved apps put um you, you use the kind of general purpose toolbar at the top that Apple makes, but less well behaved apps kind of make their own toolbar, and it's not there's not a really general purpose way of figuring out which view control which no not view control that which which controller is the is that the toolbar. Yeah. I mean,
1: Apple to some extent knows hat. I mean, I don't know if you can do it, but I know that Apple knows which buttons are in. The top, which buttons are in the top menu here, and has things get submitted to the top menu, right? Um, and so, so it has to be able to say that a button in the top menu is also a button. Like, like the most basic version of this app is all buttons in the top menu are now also buttons in the toolbar. And if you click one of them and it pulls out a menu, then that menu becomes in the toolbar.
0: Right. I think I think that that's difficult to do in a general purpose way because applications write their toolbars in different ways. The the the, the way you can tell is if you open an application and you can and I, and and you command click on a button in the application's main toolbar at the top. In well-behaved apps that allows you to change to uh, change the order of the buttons in the, the top bar cuz that means that they're using Apple's general poor purpose toolbar. But if, they're, if it doesn't allow you to change the order, then that means they they just put buttons on a bar.
1: They just literally put buttons on a bar and put them in the top? I'm not talking about the toolbar that they put in the top of their UI, their window. I'm talking about the Oh, bare... you mean
0: the, the menu bar in the top of the screen?
1: Yeah, the menu bar on the top of the screen. Yeah,
0: okay, okay. Yeah, you could do that. I was confused by what you meant. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you could do that. Yeah. That works. Um, that's actually that's actually an interesting idea. Um, I don't think it would necessarily be that hard to right now just just write a script that that runs in the background and does that. Um,
1: I might try to you, do that.
0: Later. Well, what what you're gonna have it? it you have to use Swift because you have to have access to Cocoa, and you're probably going to have to do some digging around to find private APIs.
1: Maybe. I have a decompiler on
0: here though. All right. You definitely can't run it on the App Store. You definitely can't sell it on the App Store.
1: Oh boy, I can't sell it on the App Store. No way.
0: <laughs> my 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 point being like you can't put it on the Mac App Store because you definitely have to be doing some things that Apple doesn't want you to be able to do, but haven't prevented you from doing.
1: Yeah, I know, but the, the, my point in saying that, essentially, is that I don't think anybody cares.
0: That's true. Like,
1: the Mac App Store is not well done. Now, that might change with... I don't know if they're updating the Mac App Store. I know they've, they're they doing a massive update to the iOS App Store. I don't know. Um, and I don't know if they're going to just kill the Mac App Store because it's not working. I, I know <laughs> they won't kill... They will never kill the Mac App Store, obviously,
0: but... The Mac App Store has to exist uh, because some people are afraid of installing new programs and they need a way to install new programs that they know is safe and quick and automatic and keeps them updated automatically.
1: And it's worth noting that for me, for this program, I would probably use it as a background program even if nobody else did. Yeah. And then my buttons wouldn't be... And then essentially what you're doing is moving buttons from... From You have to move your mouse up to the top of the screen for some reason to click buttons to um, you can click buttons on the top of your keypad.
0: Right. So I don't know that much about this because as much as it may surprise you, I've never tried to write a demon before.
1: Yeah, I've never tried to write a demon before either, so we'll see how it goes. But I've been looking for a coding project to do because incessantly trying to make my Um, Python code compile with no success is not coding. Yeah. It's just pain. (laughs)
0: Um, It's not coding, it's just pain. Um... All the code works. Just won't compile. Are you, like, using Cython or something?
1: No, I'm I'm just trying to make it form into an app, and Py2App used to work, but Py2App no longer works, Mm. and I have no idea why, and the internet doesn't seem to either. Um...
0: That's irritating. Yeah, so I don't know what to tell you on that. Um, I'm still working on my on my programming project that, that draws the solids of known revolution. I was yeah. doing it in C++ before because I have more experience with C++, but I decided that uh, C++, you, there's not a very good way of doing user interface, and yeah. I need to get practice in Swift anyway, so I'm writing it in Swift. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I had considered at one point cross compiling my program to Swift and then just using Xcode and then just figuring out how to compile it with Xcode I hate you and yeah that has to be the most hacky thing ever but you know what you know, you know what it works better than not working at all That's but I never true. actually grew with it um I'm still considering cross compiling my code to Swift um to see if that works
0: is it Swift is a difficult language to cross compile to because um, in Swift the user interface is defined in a separate file. Swift what? Swift real Swift basically assumes that you're using MVC and you're probably not using MVC.
1: What What does MVC stand for? Model View Controller. Um, oh, MVC. Okay.
0: Do you know what Model View Controller is? Yeah. Um, generally, um, so the, the idea of it is your app should be broken up into yeah. two, into three different sections that are completely unaware of each other. Um, you have the model or, or, or I guess your app should be broken up into two different sections, which are completely unaware of each other. You should have the model, which is completely independent from the user interface and you should have the user in uh, when w- w- that's the functionality of your app. And the user interface is the interface with the user that's what a user interface is and it should be completely independent from uh the actual code that does things and the the controller is the bridge in between
1: um, I don't see a reason for a bridge in between My code is split up what too. what
0: what the bridge in between gives you is um, uh, it, it, <clears throat> it makes it so in your model, you just have a function that um, is, I don't know, save file, and then your controller, and and then your user interface has a button that says save file, and your controller is the bridge that says when the button that says save file is clicked, call this method that says save save file, and then tell the user interface to bring up a dialog box. That, that says the file was saved. Yeah, um, Python believes... The, 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 what, what that gives you is the user interface can be completely unaware of how stuff is implemented, and the way stuff is implemented can be completely unaware of how the user is interacting with it.
1: Um, so to some extent, I do use that. I have the model all in one file, um, and then the GUI all in a different file. Um, but I have, I have, I guess I have the controller snuck in with the view. I guess I have the controller and the view combined, and I don't think it's possible to separate those two things out in Python.
0: Which means it's difficult to cross-compile to Swift, because the way Swift wants to work, and I'm, oh, and just to clarify... What, like When I say the way Swift wants to do this, I mean the way Swift and working with Coco wants to do this because Swift and Coco are so closely tied together that I don't think it's useful to draw a distinction between them in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so the way like Swift and Coco together want, want to do things is there are Swift files and there are Interface Builder files. The Interface Builder file cannot run any code, it's just the user interface, and then you have that, um, the, the interface builder file has one Swift file that it talks to, which is the designated first responder, and that Swift file is the controller, and then the rest of your application is the model, the, the rest of your files are the model.
1: That makes sense. That might help me in learning how to write Swift code um, in general.
0: Yeah, and Understood. so you're, the the um, yeah. and the, the kind of the, 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 the way the controller ends up getting defined is with this thing that Apple made called IB outlets, um, and IB actions. Uh, an IB action is um, hey, the user just did that, and that gives you a and and that calls a function on your end. Yeah. And an IB outlet is you can assign this piece of the user interface to a variable and then you can call stuff on it and change the user interface.
1: Um, the other thing I'd considered for cross-compiling is compile it all to C and then see if I can compile it from a, using Cython, which works fairly well, um, and then see if I can compile just a C program um, using a standard compil- compilation method.
0: That's going to be easier. Because C is kind of the Wild West and lets you do whatever you want. Swift has very clear ways it wants things to be done.
1: Yeah. Um, I might look into that more. Maybe I'll hope that someone fixes whatever bug I've hit in Two app. We'll see.
0: It might be easier to cross-compile to SIL. SIL? Swift Intermediate Language. It's... Almost a little bit like bytecode, and it's this, this intermediate... Bit. So basically, LV, LL, the LLVM is Apple's kind of general-purpose compiler, which was originally yeah. meant for Objective-C, and Swift is very, very different from Objective-C. And so it first gets compiled to this this thing called SIL, uh, yeah. which, which is Swift Intermediate Language, which is a little bit less, it's a little bit lower level than Swift, and it's, it's good enough that it's palatable to the rest of LLVM, mm-hmm. and so that might not have as many, it might not push you around as much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Swift is not designed to have you write your user interface in the code. Swift is yep. designed with Interface Builder in mind, which is Apple's graphic way of defining a user interface. Yeah,
1: at some point I'm going to build apps completely with a partner who do- who likes doing user interface, because the about I- of times I write my- I write for loops into my user interface oh, God. would 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 hurt you physically. Casey. <laughs> um,
0: for example, so. So If you don't like doing UI programming, I think that probably the reason why is because uh, it doesn't make sense to define graphics with code. It makes much more sense to say, I want a button here, and so you drag out a button.
1: Yeah, um, I'm going to explain to you what I have done in the poetry writing app. All right. Just to explain (laughs) to you the effort I go through to make the code um, easier to write for more things. I have a um list which contains tuples which have three which have um I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, open the code. Which have I think three elements. They have um the name of the action. They have the um the function call for the action and in Python remember that functions are variables that you can send places. Right. Which is pretty right. helpful. Um, and they have, um, and they have um, a command, a a letter to go with the action, so like Command C for copy, right? Type things. Um, although that co- copy and paste is actually built into um, the the text view, the text, UI text view UI element that, which is good. Um, but so, um, so. And then I have a for loop which goes through through these, puts the but um just grids the and I use a grid view so grids the buttons into place, um, gridding each um button with the function declared as the function in that list and the name declared as the name in that list and also binds the command key to the command in that list.
0: So what what this strikes me as is you are desperately. Looking for something that is like IB Actions.
1: What is IB Actions?
0: And it's 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 literally um, you, uh, you you have in, you you can have your, your graphic representation of your, your GUI over on the left, and then you have your code on the right, and you hold Control and you drag thing out you you drag out from the button. In, into your code and right where you dra- drags to it gives you a function that gets called every time the button gets left
1: mm, yeah the only problem with that for me would be i do that backwards i write i wrote that's the other thing i did with this i wrote all the functions that were necessary before touching the gui because i didn't feel like writing the gui because the gui is always the boring part
0: right that's that's the right way to do it <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, well, that's,
0: that's a way of doing it.
1: That, that is okay. not the way to okay. do it. You have to have at least some level of GUI so that you can test anything.
0: You have to have some level of GUI, and it's, and it's uh, what I often find is when... I, if I, I, and I think that this is a more a function of I don't plan well enough, is I will be building my GUI at the end, and now that I'm really seeing the app closer to the way the user will see it, I find myself thinking, wow, I wish this feature worked in this slightly different way. But the way I've written the code makes that slight change very difficult to do. Yeah. And so what I've kind of started trying to do, because it's not that hard to do this in the, the, the way Swift works, is at the very beginning, build your user interface exactly as you want it with nothing behind it. And then write a back end for the skeleton that you built.
1: Yeah, um, which is top down... Approach. That's kind of what we did, I mean, like, not the same thing, but with the podcast editing program, we designed things to work exactly how we wanted them to work, and then just wrote the code to do it. Exactly. And I think it's a more efficient way of working, but it ends all the work that's boring, um, which is not helpful for procrastinating coders. All right.
0: Um, I find UI design It, it is helpful for forgetting You don't have to be doing fun. it in an awful way. <laughs> Sorry, I should let you talk. No, 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 it's fine. I just said I I enjoy doing UI design when I can do it in a way that makes sense. I don't enjoy doing UI design like in the way uh Python does it and in the way Java does it where it's like all right, I can type out a button and I can type out a text field and I need to figure out all right, I know exactly when I want to put those things. I need to figure out how to do it because it's not going to be intuitive. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've never I don't think I would enjoy UI design even in Swift just because design to me is not inherently enjoyable. All right. Um, because like, as we've, I think, I don't think we've talked about on the podcast, but I don't like doing art. I don't, I don't really have a sense of aesthetics. Um, design is just something that I like do so that I can easily do the other things.
0: Right, okay. Um, so so that is a difference between us. Yeah. I enjoy making stuff look pretty and pretty. you don't.
1: And in the future, when I work for a real company, someone else will be in charge of design because God help me if I have, if the world, God help the world if the world has to use something that I have designed the UI. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were trying to say something earlier and I kept cutting you off. I don't remember what it was. Oh, sorry. It probably wasn't that important.
1: Okay. Um also kudos for finally being able to cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um
0: Um So Oh and actually, what one other interesting thing by the way? When I was writing my thing for the um <clears throat> the math solid drawing thing, I the- I know I know a lot about Swift, and I know a lot about Xcode and Interface Builder and how all of this works together. I haven't actually used it that much. Um, yeah. I just know like how how it works in theory and what good design patterns are. Yeah, um, in theory. Uh, which is mostly meaningless. But, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, so you get to be one of the
0: academics
1: in your, uh, your your high horse knowing exactly what you're talking about except for never having actually done anything about it.
0: Yeah, well, it does mean thing it, some, some results of it are like I can very articulately explain to you why cross-compiling to Swift is a bad idea. But um, I, anyway, I've, I'm only starting to really do much with it. And so something I actually did in terms of laying out my UI first is I didn't start by making it in, um, by, by making the UI in Xcode. I started by almost drawing what I want the UI to look like in OmniGraphle. Yeah, see, that's something that I would never do. <laughs> well, you don't care about us- your user interface being usable.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I do, but like, isn't a bunch of buttons usable? I just have a bunch. I have like four buttons across the cr- top and a text field. <laughs> right. That's the other thing is I create apps that have as little that that I don't create games and I usually and I usually end up creating apps that are interesting on the back end but fairly plain on the front end. Um, right. like the free app, right where. Um, I'm not sure if I've said this before on the podcast but I am trying desperately to figure out how to compile and publish to somewhere a poetry writing app where you can type you can type poetry obviously and it will automatically underline your poetry with um, with uh, with rhythm symbols and um, you can like left click to right click. I don't know why I always call it left click, right click to um, right click to rhyme. If, if you right click on two words, you can tell them to rhyme um, or you can uh, add, you can, you can add a phoneme, a specific sound. Um, if you want a sound to resonate through your poem, you can go, there's a function to go through the entire poem and it will find words for you that are, um, synonyms in a thesaurus that have that phoneme in them and you can get get a specific sound to echo but this is all theoretical right now because I can't get the app to freaking compile
0: did you ever figure out how to solve the bad translator problem
1: um I don't I just um, let you do that for you you, you do that for yourself um, the bad translator problem is if you translate out if you even though a thesaurus theoretically each word is is synonyms with the other words in the thesaurus because words mean different things in different contexts. Um, even if you the, the thesaurus is correctly changing each word each word individually, it is not correctly changing all the words together.
0: Um, and you can end up with, with just gibberish that you can't understand. My solution to that is to chuck
1: it to the user and essentially um, hi, it, it, each time it highlights a word and gives you options to change it to right um, throughout the poem. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think we've been podding for a while. We can end this one <laughs> a little bit earlier than, than the last. I think that pod is the correct word, verb right. um, speaking on a podcast. Pod Pod is like the singing, like singing is creating music or singing or playing, depending on if you're doing it with your voice or with an instrument. Singing is like singing a song, creating music. Podding is creating a podcast. I think that's completely the correct term.
0: Um, I'll I'll accept that. um, I'll laugh at it, but but I'll accept it.
1: um, I think I want to encourage feedback at nerdfighterit at gmail.com. I know that we don't have enough people who, I don't know if we have any people who don't listen to both of us anyway, who, who don't know both of us anyway. And so then they just text us feedback. Feedback however they want. But if they send the feedback that way, then we can respond directly to the feedback on the show. We'll get the feedback before the show and respond directly to the feedback on the show. Um and I we set up an email account and I don't think we've used it for anything
0: yet. We haven't. I mean, so, aside from creating accounts, places. But we right. didn't actually create any
1: finalized accounts, places, right? Yeah, we
0: did. We I created the WordPress account with it. Mm.
1: Okay, so we created one account with it so far. Good job, us. <laughs>
0: um. Nerdfighterit at gmail dot com. Send us stuff. That's okay, an, that's good. All right. So what? Also, okay. let let like. Let me know if the podcast is displaying correctly in whatever pod catcher you use um, and what your opinion is on how the descriptions should work. Okay. All right. Bye. See you. Or I guess you will hear us next week. Yeah.